Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Wedding Network podcast. My name is Jason Freshly, the Director of Business Development for Wedding Network. I'm excited today to have Casey Johnson on the call. She is with RFB LLC. They are a law firm based in the Denver area. And Cherie and I were fortunate enough to meet her, myself virtually, and Cherie in person when Denver hosted their meeting in April as part of a collaborative meeting with Event Integrity. And so after hearing her speak and be on the panel that day, we definitely wanted to bring her in and dive deeper into some of the things she chatted about, seeing the reaction from the audience that people still needed to learn a little bit more about where they were at in their business from a legal perspective to make sure that they're keeping themselves covered and safe. And I'm also excited to hear how becoming a former professional athlete turned lawyer, how that all fits in. That'll be fun to hear about. So I'm going to turn it over to Cherie and then we'll get started. Hey, it's Cherie, president of Wedding Network USA. I'm so excited to have Casey here today, partly because we meet, we hear a lot of things about lawyers and they're all kind of stuffy or they're, Casey's not stuffy. She's really a nice gal and she's gorgeous and she's smart. And she really took us to task understanding uh, about risk management and where we think we are and where we aren't um, in our businesses. And we're going to talk quite a bit about that today because I feel like as our members are in so many pieces of the event industry that quite often you don't have uh, really the protection or the knowledge, the contract things done correctly that you need to have in case of a bad situation coming up. So I'm really happy to introduce Casey. She's going to hop in here and tell us a little bit about how she got into the industry and we'll go from there. Hi guys. Good afternoon. Thank you for thinking of me. And it was just great meeting you a couple of weeks ago at the event integrity forum. Uh, like Jason said, I'm with a law firm in Denver, Colorado called Roland Braswell Fisher Law. We go by RBF Law. And I got into the business years ago after, <laughs> it's kind of a funny story, my dad used to say to me as a little girl that I was an advocate for everything. Anything that I wanted, I would negotiate and advocate for until ultimately I got exactly that. And I think <laughs> I took those steps and those skills and cultivated them over the years and ultimately decided that I thought a, a career in law would be a great way to exercise advocacy skills. And I also found that a lot of my friends and colleagues and family members would come to me with complex, often uh, daunting scenarios for them. And I always enjoyed the complexity of figuring those things out and helping counsel them on what to do next. And it turns out that's exactly what the best of us lawyers do on a daily basis. So that's how I got into the practice of law and I'm thrilled to be here this afternoon. Awesome. And actually, as you said that about the negotiating tactics, my uh, good friend has a six-year-old son and he's already started the negotiating tactics, <laughs> but she's on the, she went the other route and she's on sales side. Uh-huh. They're closing they're where she's similar. closing multi-million dollar contracts for sales. So yes, I can understand where maybe you would have ended up in sales if not for the legal side of things. You know, the practice of law is very much a sales business as well. So I'm not the least bit surprised to hear that the six-year-old advocate became a salesperson in the multi-million dollar industry. <laughs> <laughs> so I know one of the things that I really want to touch on and kind of dive into as you talked about those negotiating and having those conversations to learn more is how we can take either contract 
language or just conversations about the legal side of things and dive deeper beyond kind of what's on the surface level and things to really focus on or look for when you are having these conversations and figuring out what you need to protect yourself from? Sure. So many of the viewers on the wedding network are in the business of relationships. They're in the business of people and their business platform is designed to connect them with other people, be it other vendors or venues or clients, etc. And so a big part of what happens on the litigation end is a lack of preparation on the front end. So a business will wind up in the middle of a lawsuit for lack of preparation and what I call risk mitigation at the outset. And that can be done through some simple negotiations and some discussions, and frankly, through some written contracts that can be executed at the outset of a business relationship or a relationship between a vendor and a client. And it can essentially insulate the business from litigation on down the road, or at least mitigate the risk of litigation by having those discussions at the front end. And so as you're having those conversations on the front end, what are some of the, ta- some of the tasks that you're gonna take to prepare your business and to prepare yourself to keep yourself safe? Sure. It depends on the business. There are so many different businesses that I consult with and counsel on a daily basis. So if we're talking about, uh, let's just say we're talking about an event planner or someone who does wedding planning and their primary uh, relationships are with their brides and their grooms and their contracts that they enter into on behalf of the bride and the groom. In that situation, you would want to be thinking about protecting types of liability that could happen to a wedding planner in entering into the various different types of contracts, be it with the vendor or the person who has the liquor license or the caterer or the florist or whoever it might be. So it's entirely dependent on the business. If you're talking about a venue, the venue has different types of risks than say the event planner. So I'm happy to speak more specifically if I know a little bit more about who the business is or what the business's goals are. Maybe then we take a throw out there looking at a couple of the other categories, maybe photographer or videographer, or you mentioned liquor. So I know that's definitely something we'll touch on, Uh, but maybe, you know, the cake person and those other types of event, the other wedding professionals that are out there. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say that there's any particularly specialized type of risk that could happen to a photographer that wouldn't happen also to uh, a caterer or to the DJ or whoever it is. But ultimately, on the front end, what they should be doing is looking at the contracts that they're entering into, making sure those contracts have the right provisions, insulating them from liability that might happen. Let's just say, there's a photographer who's at a wedding for eight hours and he or she is there all day diligently taking pictures and wouldn't you know, technology happens and there is a giant snafu and none of the pictures are preserved. And so the photographer gets paid what the photographer gets paid to do the hard earned work that the photographer has done, but ultimately there is no product. Surely you can envision a situation where a bride and groom would be incredibly uh, heartbroken and upset about that and think about the types of legal claims that a bride and groom might bring against that photographer who was paid you know, $5,000 or more to take pictures for an entire day and then doesn't, is unable to turn over a product. 
if the photographer can foresee a situation like that happening and that photographer recognizes the possibility that technology can just be what it is sometimes and it be unpredictable, then the photographer, uh, through working with counsel, hopefully can prepare a contract that his or her clients will sign that will mitigate that type of risk. And it will have language in it that says, if something happens outside of my control, in other words, you know, my camera gets smashed, uh, who knows, anything can happen. But if the photographer can predict that and contract around it, then when the unthinkable does happen, at least he or she has defenses to a potential lawsuit he or she could face for issues that would otherwise likely be compensable. And that photographer might owe the bride and groom a significant amount of money. Well, and we know these things happen. Uh, you know, I had it happen in the days of film um, where the photographer came to me uh, when we had gotten to the reception site and he said, <clears throat> um, apparently my role of film jammed when we did the last series of photos in the church and there's nothing, you know, it didn't advance. Now he wasn't working with a second shooter because they didn't want to pay for that. So what we did was we actually took the people outside into another area and he reshot. Um, but it is scary when you think about circumstances like that because a cake person could get tripped up over a cable or something and lose the whole cake. I mean, things happen and we don't ever want to think that the poor clients are, you know, they've already had stress enough for the day. But it is nice to know that we can kind of protect ourselves in those kinds of situations. Um, one of the situations that I always found to be very unnerving when I was out on the job was when the guests and the bridal party had had a little bit too much fun consuming things that they shouldn't have necessarily been consuming. And it really changes the whole dynamic of the, the uh, atmosphere and it makes guests uncomfortable, but it really makes all of the vendors uncomfortable. What can we do in those situations where it's out of our control that they've overindulged and yet you know, it's going to come down on our heads if something goes wrong. Yeah, it's a great question. I had a business meeting recently with the man who is in charge of a giant music festival that's coming to Colorado this summer. It's supposed to attract 50,000 plus guests. It's sort of the um, sister to some of the big festivals that happen in California that have been going on, like Coachella and things like that. And it's brand new to... Denver uh, this summer. So you can imagine with the marijuana laws being what they are, and just the fact that festivals are designed by nature to attract partiers, what kinds of issues and legal questions he has right now, given the fact that he's essentially producing this whole giant program coming up. When you're in the business of making sure people have a good time, which is exactly what the wedding industry does, right? The, the goal is to get people together who don't see each other regularly and make sure that they have the best time that they can have. Inevitably, you wind up with um, excessive alcohol consumption and any number of different things. That's just sort of a, a function of a wedding. I don't know that I've ever been to a wedding where I didn't see at least one person who probably overindulged. Um, no judgment, but... <laughs> Nevertheless, factual, um, there, are, are, there are a number of things that you can do as a professional in the industry to make sure that that person and their uh, conduct after they've overconsumed doesn't come back on you. And, and more specifically, just being familiar with the legal landscape of things like dram shop laws, and we can walk through that 
will be helpful and insightful in, in building your business and making your business plans because a lot of professionals in the industry I've found aren't even familiar with the concept that they could be liable for a person who consumes too much and then leaves the venue and causes harm to another person. So familiarizing yourself with the legal landscape in your state regarding consumption laws and who's responsible for misconduct of people who have overconsumed, particularly if you have minors that might be consuming, um, is vitally important because what can happen is you as the host, if you will, of the party can become responsible illegally for things that happen after a person who's been served too much leaves. I know one instance down in Texas, the way their liquor laws are set up, and I'm not 100% familiar with them, but having been a bartender and being licensed down there, a lot of the liability falls on the bartender, where it's the bartender's responsibility. And I ran into a situation once with a wedding where my bartenders were responsibly serving, but the guests were going into the groom suite and going to their cars and doing additional shots and drinking additionally. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, like the whole party just flipped. And I had to sit with my chef and I looked at each other like, where's this going to fall on us if something happens? We luckily had a bus, so people weren't driving. However, it still was just making sure they got to a bus without hurting themselves. We shut the bar down right away. I mean, the bar, the bar was torn down in the middle of the party in front of the guest. And the dad was just standing there saying thank you and giving a tip. And it was the strangest convolute of events, but it was one of those things where like my bartenders were like, we're seriously not over serving. We don't know what's happening. That, that doesn't surprise me at all. And you're right. The liability can fall on the bartenders. Similarly, it could fall on the venue or it could fall on both the venue and the bartenders. Uh, the best thing that you could have done sounds like exactly what you did, which is shut the bar down and simply not serve anymore. You can't control what people do when they're in the wedding bus or when they're in the suite, et cetera, but you can control what you're willing to do. And if you identify that there's someone has consumed too much, certainly you should not continue to contribute to that because everyone wants to point their finger at the guy or the gal or the company with the deepest pocket. So those guys get in a car and they drive off and something happens. The family of the person who it happens to in the other vehicle then wants to look to you know, whoever was serving. Certainly they're not going to sue the people individually outside of what their insurance might cover. So then they're coming knocking on, on your door or on the venue's door, whomever it might be. Um, so yes, absolutely recognizing the issues as they're happening is important. But even earlier than that, and, and sort of where I come in and counsel is drafting contracts that contemplate these kinds of things so that if it happens, inevitably when it happens, because look, we're in the business of planning parties, um, you are as protected as the law will allow you to be. And guess what, guys? You can contract for whatever you want as long as it's not illegal. So just think about the kinds of things that you can put in a contract to protect yourself and your business. I mean, you can be very specific. If, if people drink too much, if they use too much, whatever it is, you go ahead and put those kinds of things in your contracts to be protecting yourself at the outset. So when things happen, you at least have that to lean back on. One of the questions that I have in regarding to that, and of course, cannabis usage, I know that we're not supposed to have alcohol and cannabis at the same events, but that seems to be a pretty rocky road here. I don't know how it is in Colorado, but is is it the responsibility of the person, perhaps the 
uh, venue owner or the planner then if they see uh, gross abuse of that sort of nature to contact law enforcement would that help protect them in that situation um, should there become a, after the fact a lawsuit good question in the scope if you will the nature of cannabis law marijuana law is very uh, junior and juvenile, it's very new. Everyone is sort of watching as the legal landscape develops because it's all so new and legislation is happening at sort of breakneck speed. So lawyers are trying to make sure that we are up to speed to the extent it touches on the type of business we do. Um, I think your question, Cherie, is more a question about the liability of what we call landowner in air quotes, and that could include the venue itself or the wedding planner, just depending on the circumstances. In premises liability is essentially the obligation that the landowner, be it the venue or the wedding planner, the person who is the authorized agent to use the space, that's how we'll define landowner. Whoever is the authorized, whoever is in charge of that space, under the statutory scheme, depending on the state, is considered the landowner. Of course, it's state by state, so you would need to know your local laws, consult with someone who can figure that out for you. But as a landowner, depending on the nature of your guests, and in this case, your guests would be for folks that you've invited to your party, to your festival, maybe they're paying to be there, maybe it's a wedding, kind of depends on the circumstances. But what are you responsible to do to make sure that people aren't um, getting hurt on the property or driving away from the property and getting hurt. And honestly, you've got a lot of responsibility. You've got responsibility to make sure that the land, if you will, the property is safe for the guests that are on it and that you've taken all reasonable measures that you can to protect those people. In the case of your specific example, I think it would be prudent to have security on hand so that experts in the identification of overuse of potentially marijuana or whatever it is are there and that takes some of the burden off of you who let's just say you're the event planner you're not an expert in uh, marijuana usage or overusage or the confluence of marijuana and alcohol but you hire security to show how reasonable you've been to protect the guests at the event and then that way you can at least say you know look at how reasonable my actions are look at all the things that i've tried to do to protect my guests and to make sure this is a safe party um, certainly if you don't have security you would want to think about getting local law enforcement involved if you think there's a problem i would always encourage you to consult with your local law enforcement rather than letting an issue get out of hand but just be thinking about you know what can i reasonably do to keep the guests at this event safe even if that means you have to spend a little money be it through contracting or through hiring security or whatever it is you want to make sure that you're showing reasonableness because that is your duty as the quote landowner or authorized agent of the space would that also um, pertain to the actual uh, property itself then Casey, you know, I think about so many weddings, you know, when I still was in the industry of doing the weddings, many of them were at hotels, so I didn't really worry about things like that. But today we're out in vineyards and barns and grandma's property by the river and things. And how could the planner and her team run around and make sure everything is safe? And yet, what if somebody falls in the pool or, you know, in the river? I mean, is that another reason that maybe we should think about security at some of these events? 
Yeah, you, you know, the classic law school exam about premises liability is this giant acreage of property that the landowner, the person who owns, doesn't really know much about because he doesn't cruise it all that often. It's a big space. Um, but, you know, wouldn't you know there's a big hole in the ground that somebody who's on the land by invitation falls in. This is, you know, the law school exam that you get in property. And you have to navigate, you know, what is his liability to the person who falls in the hole that he didn't even know about? Well, if you're the authorized agent using the space, and let's say it's a vineyard, and let's say the vineyard has a creek, and let's say that the creek is, I don't know, not marked, or it's hard to see, and some guest who you've invited to be on the property falls in and is injured, or you know, God forbid, something worse. You actually do have a responsibility to know what's on that property. So you have a responsibility to you or yourself or someone that you've engaged to do this type of work. Um, be aware of dangerous conditions that exist on the property. And dangerous is, is a very loose term. I don't just mean, you know, <laughs> some sort of dangerous machinery. I mean things that someone could slip into and get hurt or a stair that is broken that you know the bridal party is going to be walking down. You, you have to know those things as the authorized agent of the land and it is more involved than just simply showing up and getting the party started. One of the things going off of all this is you mentioned talking about your responsibility and I'm curious to know as professionals, whether they do or do not seek legal advice, maybe we talk a little bit more, maybe you have a little bit more insight on just having a checklist in hand that somebody can reference to remember their responsibilities at these events as a, as a wedding professional participating in this event. I think sometimes we might forget like, oh, if we're at this venue, well, it's the venue's responsibility. However, we're still there and it should still be something we are thinking about and maybe is on our checklist or something we're taking an extra step to make sure is correct. Yeah, uh, Jason, you make a really good point and I just wanna point something out here. Just because you think it's the venue's responsibility and even if it is the venue's responsibility, you could still be named as a defendant in a lawsuit just because you are essentially there as a wedding planner or you're there as a DJ or you're there as a photographer. If you're a participant in the event and something goes wrong, just because you aren't the person who is, quote, the landowner doesn't necessarily mean that you won't be named in the lawsuit. And what that means is you're going to have to spend money to get out of it if you even can. So what you want to do as we started this conversation talking about is foresee those issues on the front end. Um, I'm always shocked to find out how many professionals, be it in the wedding space or otherwise, conduct business on a daily basis with all different kinds of people in all different kinds of relationships and have never even thought to speak to a lawyer about the laws that impact their business on a daily basis. Um, you know, I would say 95% of the viewing audience at the last event didn't even know what premises liability was. They similarly didn't know what a dram shop act is, and that's the act that we just talked about that would make a bartender potentially liable for the acts of a, a drunkard who leaves the bar. And they don't know those things because their business is not my business. Their business is, is uh, planning weddings and making sure every detail for the bride is exactly as she would like it to be. But, but my business is to know the legal landscape, and it's always really concerning to me when people are running businesses on a day-to-day -day basis and have never even talked to a lawyer. 
talking to a lawyer on the front end is so much less expensive than winding yourself up in the middle of a lawsuit and having to figure out that landscape. And I mean by several multiples. So, you know, spend a little time, sit down with somebody you trust. I would love for it to be me. Sit down and chat, talk to someone like, what are the main legal landscapes that I need to be familiar of in my business? Is it premises liability? Is it dram shop? Is it a sort of new marijuana law. What is it? Learn what those are, at least in layman terms, and then come up with your checklist. That's a great way to do it. Go through your checklist at every event that you host. Have I cruised the perimeter? Have I hired security if I think this is going to be a, a, you know, a giant festival with all kinds of people using all different kinds of substances? Have I done all the things to show my reasonableness? And then at a minimum, if you do wind up in a lawsuit, you are able to show the judge or the jury what you've done to be as reasonable as you can. That's a better case than one where you didn't even know that the law applied to you and you're just kind of trying to figure it out on the back end. So, so find someone that you trust who is an expert in the law and spend a few hours with them so that you can become informed and so that you can protect yourself both on the front end and then unfortunately if you wind up in litigation on the back end. You touched on reviewing, and one of the things I wanted to ask about is as you work with an attorney, work with a lawyer, build a contract, have those conversations, how often should you be reviewing this information or going back and having a conversation with your legal team um, to make sure that you're staying current and you're not missing anything? Well, I'll tell you that the folks who have been sued or have been involved in a lawsuit talk to their lawyers after that a whole lot more often than people who have never been sued or been in a lawsuit and it's because there's good reason for it they are now aware of the risks they're aware of the financial strain of those risks they're aware of the way that people think when they think something bad has happened to them and it's someone else's fault uh, of course there's no way to impress upon someone how important legal services are and consulting your counsel is before you make any big decisions until you know someone has been involved in a lawsuit but i hope that educated listeners and educated viewers will realize the downside of just kind of taking a chance and holding out hope anybody who does business inevitably if they do it for long enough will wind themselves up in a situation where they say ma'am i really wish i'd talked to a lawyer about this beforehand so i think the more you consult with the lawyer the lower your risk is on a day-to-day, -day, on a job-by-job, -job, on a year-by-year -year basis, and the more thankful you'll be because you're better able to prepare yourself on the front end to prevent it, and God forbid it does happen, you're better able to defend it. So Casey, can you, because you are in Colorado, is there a way that you can help our members who are in Washington and Oregon or Texas or Connecticut, or, or do you have resources that you know, can help us maybe that if they reached out to you, then if you couldn't take care of them, you could uh, get them to someone in their state who would be an appropriate choice for them? A great question, Sheree. Uh, my clients are actually all over the United States. I have Colorado clients, but I also have clients that are based in probably all 50 states in the nation. I can practice nationally and I have relationships with local counsel in the various different states. Of course, you have to follow the local rules to associate with local counsel. And that's obviously uh, something that 
our firm and that I do specifically, but I do practice all over. I get calls. I got one today from a client in Wyoming. And so I'm working with that client right now on some Wyoming specific legal issues. And I'm happy to do so no matter where you're located. And I'll make sure that in doing so, I have the right connections with the legal community in the locale to make sure that uh, everything is, is good to go. And one other thought is, we mentioned this right before the podcast, the range of business owners. And you've got this, especially in the wedding and event industry, you have the hobbyist, you have the brand new business, you have one to three, you you have this whole range where people are in different needs and assessments, or they do it as a hobby to try it out. And that may be the one event that they shouldn't have done that to. On the flip side, they start a business and don't put those things in place and go for a year or two and then go, oh, I nothing had happened, but like, oh, now I need to do something. And so can we go maybe talk a little bit more about easier ways of protecting or things they need to be remembering to do throughout those processes and throughout those different stages of business, if you will? Sure. Um, I think I understand what you're saying. And certainly when you are just a hobbyist, let's say you've got an idea, you really want to become a wedding photographer or an event photographer, but maybe you don't have the resources or you don't know if it's a viable business plan. So you're just kind of trying it out and you're just out there seeing if you like it. Maybe you're doing some free photo shoots, whatever it may be. Uh, Obviously at that time, you're not thinking about, man, I want to shell out money to legal counsel right now to make sure that I'm doing this in accordance with whatever laws impact my business. Uh, and, And as a lawyer, I get that. I understand that this is not a, a cheap service or a free service. It's certainly something that you have to have a palate for and an understanding and appreciation for. But I think if you do things right on the front end, it always, if we're talking just about resources, costs you less money to set your business up properly, have the right kinds of contracts, know the lay of the land, know what legislation impacts what you're going to be doing and get educated on the front end before you get into a situation that could be business ending. If you don't do the right things on the front end and you are a small business and you don't have a giant insurance policy that could protect you if something goes wrong and you just simply had no clue that what you're doing was going to be legally problematic, there's not a whole lot you can do. And and you do see businesses have to shut down over litigation because it's just simply too costly. They can't afford it. They can't even afford to settle the case. They can't afford the legal demand from the other side. But if you're knowledgeable and you're educated on the front end and the contracts that your folks are signing are are really sound and solid and have articulated to you the issues and have thought through all the potential issues, then you don't wind yourself up in that space. So yes, it is a small hit on the front end, but compared to the size of the hit on the back end, to me, it's entirely worth it. Of course, I sit in a chair every day where I evaluate risk and it's typically on the side where the there's a big lawsuit and I'm already having to be involved. And, and you can't even imagine what it costs to litigate some of these cases. Um, like I said, it could be business ending. One of the things I noticed was, and maybe this was your company or maybe this is you, but it talked about fr- fractional general counsel. And I know mm-hmm. that fractional is a term that you can get a fractional CEO, a CFO, you can, these fractional opportunities. And I wondered if you worked on that or how your team might work on that and what that looks like from a perspective of an event or wedding professional? Yeah, really good question. What I found with a lot of smaller businesses or startup businesses is 
they uh, either have never thought of a lawyer at all or have thought, man, it would be great to have a lawyer I could call all the time, but I can't afford to hire someone on my staff who I can consult with on a daily basis. And so I have been creating a really unique space where in addition to being a litigator where I get brought in when there's a lawsuit, I have been doing what I'll call fractional or contract in-house general counsel work with companies who just want ready access to someone who knows the lay of the land, who knows the contract space, who knows how to help insulate risk, how to counsel businesses in going forward. And it's been working beautifully because these companies have access to me whenever they want. They don't have to bring someone in-house that potentially they can't afford. They, you know, I've got various different fee structures that I do depending on the company and what they need. And it gives the company both uh, peace of mind and it also gives the company something they can really sell either to their clients or maybe to a round of funding that they're about to go through. The investors know that this company is serious. They have a lawyer they consult with on a daily basis or however often on a project by project basis. They really wanna do things right. They're insulating their risk. So if we invest, then we know that they've thought through the legal pitfalls that could cause us to lose all of our money. Um, it's a really, it's a great sale, both for clients and for investors and things of the like. And it's been a really fun way to get to know new businesses and to get involved in the front end so that I don't have to see them come back to me on the back end when it's, you know, when something bad has happened that they haven't planned for. I have a question about that, Casey. Is is it is this kind of service something that um, I don't know? I, and and I'm just thinking outside the box here. But is it a kind of service that we could contract as an organization with you? That maybe maybe then our members paid a monthly fee to us so that they could be able to reach out to you. But um, but the organization itself could could be your client. Is that a feasibility? You know, there are laws that require lawyers to evaluate potential conflicts of interest. Uh, that's kind of a, a threshold issue. So if I represented the wedding network as a fractional general counsel, and the wedding network was in a potential dispute with one of its members, and then the member could similarly contact me, that would put me in a situation where I couldn't adequately counsel both you, uh, you as the wedding network and the member. So we would have to navigate that in a way that obviously followed the code of professional responsibility. But there are so many ways that lawyers can work with clients that are beyond the standard concepts that uh, I would certainly love to explore that more and to see how we can work together to, to sort of better build that relationship, both for the wedding network and its viewers, et cetera. Well, I know that, you know, we hear about services that you can buy a monthly fee into. Um, uh, and I have friends that have used those types of services, not necessarily been happy with them. Some have been okay with them. And part of the issue for some of the people that I know um, was that the uh, firm that was the firm that they were then uh, directed to didn't really know anything about the wedding and event industry. And that's why this is so intriguing to me because our members do do something that is unique. It's not like 
you know, if they're plumbers, they should go to a plumbing, uh, an attorney who understands what plumbing contractors do. And it's really difficult. You can't just put them in a box and say, well, this firm can always help you because that's not true. Whereas you have the knowledge in the event industry that really makes a huge difference. So that's why it's just kind of appealing to me. And, and I think that we'll, um, off topic, we'll, and off camera, we'll be exploring that and keep you uh, all posted on what we can see if it's something that we can work out that um, we could work with Casey and her firm. Yeah, um, you're, you're right, Sheree. You wouldn't go to a cardiologist to do brain surgery. Uh, and so similarly, you have to have a lawyer who has got expertise in the space that you operate in. And I often say with regard to the contract services where you pay some sort of a yearly subscription that you get exactly what you pay for. And if this is a service business, and just like the business that you guys are in, if you find that you're paying pennies on the dollar, there's probably a pretty good reason for it. And as an experienced business person that you both are, certainly you've seen examples of that, and so have I. And so the folks that pay for a contract subscription to a templated contract that wind up in a lawsuit because the contract didn't do what they intended it to do, because maybe it wasn't jurisdiction specific, maybe it wasn't substantively specific, um, I always feel badly, but I'm never surprised because there's a reason that it costs a fraction of what it should have cost. And it's just a, a cost of doing business and an important one. That was one of the questions I wanted to ask about. Just you hear legal zoom all the time. And I know I've heard that at meetings and I have people have, go to it, but they just sort of download it and toss it out. And they don't actually, even the business owner doesn't take the time to at least read over it and know what's in there. And so you might even run into the situation where doing some of those services, you still have to read what you signed up for and you still have to read what they gave you to make sure that if nothing else, you didn't miss something or it's used as a structure. It may, you know, it's a good way to look and see, did I cover all my bases? But it's not, if you're not going to pay attention to it, you're not going to get anything out of it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know anything, as you can probably imagine, I've never relied on Legal Zoom, and I don't know too much about it. the product, certainly won't say anything bad about it. But I do know that it's nice for businesses to have a, a person that they can actually talk to, because sometimes reading legal documents, like what you might get on a website, it's not, it's not your uh, speed, it's not your comfort level. You don't know what the words in the document mean. So maybe it's a little uncomfortable, maybe you don't read it at all, maybe you do and you don't understand it. If you've got someone that you can call that can break it down, make it palatable, make it something that you can really take to task and understand so that you can be implementing it in your business, that's far more valuable to me than just having a templated contract that you can probably pull off the internet. So, one of the things that you answered in your uh, survey was your favorite meal at a wedding. And Ooh. when I saw this at the very end of your questionnaire, I became best friends with you. Yay! Because after <laughs> living in Austin for nine years, um, so for those on the, on the podcast, authentic street tacos at a wedding you were at in Mexico. Yes. After having lived in Austin for nine years, I kind of consider myself a taco connoisseur and or there are a lot of us in Austin that would say that and so yeah so where was that and so yeah so I went to a wedding in this little surf town in Mexico called Sayulita and it's about two hours away from the nearest airport and the bride and groom it was their second marriage they didn't want a big production so they rented two or three 
three houses that were sort of um, up in the hills, if you will, overlooking the ocean. And they hired three or four ladies who were cooks at a local restaurant to do breakfast. They did, uh, you know, all kinds of traditional Mexican breakfast dishes and their main entree for their wedding were different kinds of street tacos and they had a taco stand and they were just making the carnitas and it was just it was so wonderful 30 people everybody including the wedding planner and the photographer wound up in the pool that night so that's how you know it's a good wedding <laughs> and great food. And, yes and great food I can imagine and this is can be a whole nother topic of conversation we might have on another podcast with you but we do have members that work in destination and yeah. work in these situations where there's travel involved and things of that nature. And I'm sure that throws a whole nother mix into the, the bucket, especially if you are looking at those templated contracts, that's not included in there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you talk about going to Mexico or going somewhere outside the United States or even somewhere within the United States, maybe you know what you're talking about in the state that you live in, but have no clue what you're talking about uh, in Mexico, and that's a whole nother ball of wax that you should consider, you know, especially like, let's say you hire a wedding planner who's fantastic, excellent reputation in Oregon, she's the best in the business, and you say, hey, I actually want to get married in Italy, can you help me plan a wedding in Italy, and here she is on the phone with vendors in Italy, maybe speaking a different language, she enters into some sort of agreement that isn't, uh, what the bride and groom intended and and there you are and so you really need to be cognizant of where your location is just as much as who you're working with to create the party yeah i totally agree with that because um i remember the first wedding i did that was really outside of the area and it was at the coronado and and i didn't really know some of the laws in california and um, I met with a hotel general manager who was beyond helpful. And I look at gals now who are traveling outside of the country to all kinds of locations. And not only do you have the concern about being able to pull it off, you have the concern about your own travel and your own health issues. And does all your stuff arrive? And, you know, it's that seems to me another one of those issues with clients that, you know, maybe you're bringing the wedding programs and the favors and all of those types of things. Um, it, it just adds a whole nother level of um, complication to the service that we provide. And I would think that contracts absolutely must have to speak to that to really protect you in those situations. I don't mind going to Cancun. Anytime somebody needs me to go to Cancun, I'm their gal. But I would like to know what the law is so I can be protected down there. Um, and then I want to bring up one little thing, which is, you know, one of my favorite questions that I like to ask people is what's something that people wouldn't know about you? And your response really got me because I didn't know that about you. Yeah, um, sort of a, a strange chain of events as life typically can be. Before I practiced law, I actually was a professional track and field athlete. So I was professionally sponsored by a number of different sponsors, and I ran the 100 meter hurdles. And for those who have met me in person, I'm all of five feet, five inches tall, and that usually shocks folks. But contrary to popular opinion, it helps to be closer to the hurdle and closer to the ground. <laughs> and it was just 
uh, a really fun time in my life. I got to run collegiately and then I was picked up by a couple of sponsors where I was able to travel and met my husband in through the track and field world. So that was fantastic. Um, and I certainly can say that I miss those days sometimes after long hours in the office. <laughs> you are definitely not running around the office and as opposed to sitting in a chair and yeah, dealing exactly. with things. And you're running around maybe, you know, going from one appointment to the next, not out, <laughs> outside running a marathon Indeed. or anything. Indeed. So as we start to wrap up here, I wanted to see if there was anything else you wanted to touch on and or anything you wanted to talk about that people can reach out to you to get some more information or to potentially have you draw up a contract. Yeah, um, absolutely. And thank you for asking that. I'm certainly happy to provide all my contract information if it's better to do that through the podcast. I'm happy to. Otherwise, I can gladly give it to the two of you so long as it gets uh, publicized out there. I just really encourage people to uh, think considerably about talking to a professional who knows your space, who knows the legal landscape before you wind up in a situation that could be business ending. It's just like you get insurance and just like you have, you know, maybe life insurance, whatever it is, pre-planning is always a good idea. It's never particularly fun, although I think you might find me to be more fun than what you're probably anticipating. <laughs> uh, but, you know, really uh, think about it and, and call me. I'm happy to talk to anybody about any of the issues. I've got a direct dial and an email. I'm really easy to reach. I understand that viewers and listeners uh, use all different kinds of social media, which I do as well would love to talk to you. I can be very flexible in terms of rates. I know that's always something that's concerning, um, but I would just love to, to hear from you and hear more about what you do and how I might be able to help. That's great. And yes, we will put contact information for you in the show notes on the podcast and they'll be able to just click and shoot you a message. Wonderful. Well, that sounds just fantastic. I'd love to hear from folks. Yeah. And then I also kind of take a, uh, uh, a shrinkage of what we've talked about today, but, um, and put it into a blog post again with your contact information and, and your right. photo so they know who you are and whatnot, because we want people to know um, you're probably one of the more approachable attorneys I've met in a long, well, long thank time. You. And, I pride myself on that. <laughs> yeah, you are. And, um, and so it's good for people to, to just know that there's someone out there who understands the situations understands them as a person because you know if you're in the wedding business you're pretty creative and creative people are not always the best at handling the business side of the business so um, it's nice to know for them that they know they have someone like you in their corner and I really appreciate your time today it's just been really marvelous and um, look forward to seeing how things go forward for us in the future yeah the pleasure's been all mine guys I've really enjoyed this Awesome. Well, my two takeaways were remembering to plan ahead and stay safe, but also that this is all about relationships. And as long as you're maintaining healthy relationships, most things will work themselves out. Bingo. Thoughtful and considered and healthy relationships. Yeah. All right. Well, that concludes another episode of the Wedding Network podcast, folks. We will see you next week. Until then, have an awesome day.